Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. We've all seen uh, overreactions, right? Maybe if you uh, think back, you can probably think pretty recently that you either witnessed or maybe you yourself uh, uh, overreacted, right? They catch our attention. They, uh, we see them go viral on social media when someone overreacted somewhere, either in, at a grocery store, at a bank, at the airport. I've seen that a lot, overreactions at the airport. And when we see them even in person ourselves, we, we usually stop and we stare. Sometimes we take out our phones and we're like, ooh, this, this, this is good. We're intrigued. I mean, there's a ton of examples of over, overreactions that we can think of. Like uh, you've all heard or, or maybe even seen uh, the parent at the mall who's over-disciplining their kid uh, because their child embarrassed the parent by acting like a child and now the parent is acting like a child overreacting, right? Maybe you've witnessed overreactions at work. Maybe someone got fired or, or they had issues with someone at work. They're over there flipping tables, making a scene. An overreaction that we've all probably seen is on the road. A lot of overreactions on the road. I, was, um, I drive a lot. I, I work in Culver City, so it's quite a drive. Uh, I spend like three hours every day on the road. So I get to see a lot of different drivers. And uh, recently, uh, there were two cars who were really going at it. They kept like, you know, they were fought. One of the drivers was following the other driver. And I was like, this is not going to end well. It started to get dangerous. They were cutting people off until finally they pulled over. And like, you know, the chismoso inside of you, like you're like, ooh, what's going to happen? So they pull over. The guy comes out and starts yelling at the other guy. And, and the, the other guy come, kind of starts getting close to swing at him. And too bad I had to keep going so I didn't see what happened. But I was like, man. What, what, could have the, what could have the other driver done to cause that effect, to cause that overreaction? I mean, you're driving. You've never met this person yet to go to such extents. See, when we see someone overreact, generally, we think, wow, there must be something else going on. And we think that, because that cause should not have produced that effect. When we see overreactions, we're intrigued, we're confused, because that cause should not have produced that effect. Have you ever thought that to yourself? Like, wow, why did I react like that? Where did that come from? Like, why, why did what that person say really bug me? Or why did that trigger me? We say those things because that cause should not have produced that effect. See, we all have, uh, <clears throat> we've all damaged, if not all, some of our relationships because of an overreaction from our end, some type of uh, emotional outburst. I mean, your latest apology was probably due to an overreaction. 
And see, what you have said to them might have been the right thing, but you might have said it not at the right time or the right way. You ever been right but wrong? And here's the thing. You can learn a lot. You can learn a lot about yourself simply by observing your reactions because we become predictable. Certain words, right? Certain environments, certain people, they just trigger us. I asked my wife late last night, I was like, hey, what, what, what do I say that triggers you? She's like, when you call me crazy, I was like, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. See, your spouse most likely knows your triggers, even if it's not conscious. They know how to push your buttons. I mean, they themselves might be those triggers, right? <laughs> Hopefully not. Like when they tell you, you're just like your mother. What's funny is no one's response is ever, you know what, you're right. Now I know what to work on. Nobody ever replies like that. See, we all have triggers and phrases and people that can cause an overreaction from us. And the thing is, they all stem from something deeper inside of us. Something that either happened to you as a child, something that recently maybe really hurt you, and so there are things that people tell you or, 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 or that um, like attack you that might really trigger something deep inside of you. And although that's a conversation for another time, I think that it's really important to recognize that we all have certain reactions. We all have overreactions, but it's not because we're crazy. It's because there's something deep inside of us that's being triggered. But here's the problem. Here's the issue, is we have all heard the saying, actions speak louder than words, right? But here, I want to add to that. It's not finished. The actions speak louder than words, but reactions speak louder than both. See, actions speak louder than both, but reactions speak louder than both. See, our reactions have the potential to either make our lives better or drastically make them worse. And so we have to get very good at the opposite of overreacting, and that's underreacting for two reasons. The first one is that, well, if we get good at underreacting, our lives will exponentially get better. But second, because Jesus actually commanded us to. And here's the thing about underreacting. See, underreacting, getting this right, it's not an extra thing in Christianity. It's not an extra thing in our faith. It's not a plus. It's not a nice to have. It's a fundamental it's not something that once you get everything good, once you get your attendance right, once you start uh, saying the right things, dressing the right way, then you can look into like, oh, maybe I should start thinking about how I react to things. No, that should be one of the very first things that we look at. It is fundamental to our faith. It is fundamental to being a Christian. 
See, Jesus teaches us that we have to underreact to negative situations. But here's what's mind-blowing. And like, Scripture's so good. Jesus is so good. This is what's amazing. How Jesus wants us to react is still making people stop and stare. It would still be a reason for people to take out their phones and record because it is the same reason. When we respond like Jesus wants us to respond, people will also think, wow, that cause did not produce that effect. Let me explain. Oh, that happened to you? You should be mad, but you're not. Or someone says, if that happened to me, ooh, he wouldn't see the light of day. I'd be flipping tables. You, you would not know what hit you. Or what? You apologized? You forgave? See, the way that Jesus wants us to respond is like on the other side, and it's still amazing. It will still make people stop and stare. And the reason is because although actions speak louder than words, reactions speak louder than both. Why? The big question is why? See, it's because our actions, they don't tell the whole story. We all know how to behave when it's necessary. That's easy. We all know what to say and how to say it when the waters are calm when no one's coming after us. We all know how to behave. Just look at how well all of you guys are behaved right now. The question is, are you always this calm, collected, quiet, attentive? Well, most of you at least. But see, when things don't go our way, when we don't get what we want, when we don't get what we expect, then that's what's really inside of us comes out. And here's why it's important. Here's why Jesus is saying that it's important. See, when we sound and when we react, just like everyone else in the world, there is no distinction, distinction between us in here and everyone else out there. When we don't know how to control our reactions, we become like everyone else. See, what separates us in here from everyone else is not church attendance. You have witnessed countless of people walk in and out of church and not change one thing inside of them. It's how we act, but more specifically, how we react. And I'll explain this more in detail. As we read this scripture, what's amazing is that chances are you've all heard these verses that I'm about to read to you. And even if you're not a big church person, maybe if you're not really that much into church, you've heard it somehow, whether it be in a movie, in a book, in a story, maybe someone has quoted it to you. And see, that's, that's really what's frustrating, right? See, that most people outside of these four walls looking in, their problem is that they don't believe what we believe. That's not their problem. It's that they're not sure that we believe what we say we believe. Because we don't do what we say we believe. But that's why we're here. 
Because we're growing, we're changing, right? So here it is. If you look in your outlines, it'll also be on the screens. Matthew 5, 38, 39. This is Jesus speaking. Again, you've probably heard this so many times. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist, resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. We've all heard it, right? Turn your cheek. Turn the cheek. Before I move on, I want to clarify something, though. Protection is not the same as retaliation. In this verse, Jesus is not saying if someone comes at you and starts attacking you to just stay there and take it. That's not what he's saying. Okay, he's not saying if someone, like, you know, just swings at you for you to, yeah, hit me, <laughs> hit me here now. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. And the people around him knew that this was not an attack. This was an insult. Because he says the right cheek. See, most people today, even back then, it was true in that culture and time, most people are right-handed. And so they are going to attack you. <laughs> They're going to come with the right hand first, right? Because that's your strong hand. And so they would hit your left cheek. But Jesus is not talking about an attack. He's talking about an insult. He's saying the left cheek. Who would hit you in the left cheek? It's the good old backhand. <laughs> in that culture, that insult was a backhand slap. It was not someone beating you up or attacking you. It was actually someone insulting your honor because it was a backhand slap to your right cheek. It was an invitation to get you to react, to get you to match their level, to get you to say something. You ever had a situation like that when someone just did something and in your head you're like, ooh, they want me to lose it right now. They, ooh, they don't, they don't know me. They don't know, they don't know who they're dealing with because they are inviting you to react. But Jesus is saying no. Not my followers, not Christians, not people of faith. Look at Matthew 5.41. He continues. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. The context of this is he's talking about compulsory public service. See, in this culture, someone of status, a leader can come to any citizen and literally force that person for a certain amount of time to serve them. And in most cases, that service was helping them carry loads. So this was someone who was actually abusing their authority and almost making fun of that person. It wasn't someone who's asking them like, hey, bro, help me move. You know, like I need, like, no, it, it wasn't that. It was actually someone saying, hey, I want to embarrass you. I want to insult you. So get up and serve me and carry all my stuff. If we're like, eh, I don't know about all that, Jesus, the people around him were like, no, nobody lives like this. Nobody says, hey, if you come insult me, I want to invite you to insult me some more. But he continues in, in, in verse 42, he says, give to the one who asks 
of you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Here he's, he's just saying, I want you to be so generous that people are amazed. But here's the punchline in uh, 43 to 45. Here, here's the, the finale. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Let me also clarify something here. He's saying treat them as if they weren't your enemy. He's not saying love them in your heart. There's a difference. He's, he's telling us love the people who hate you practically with actions. You don't have to think about them all day. He says, pray for them. Some of you are like, I don't even pray for people who I like. (laughs) And you're telling me to pray for my enemies? But see, he tells us why. He separates the believers from the followers. He says, I want you to do this so that you reflect the Father, so that you are his children. Jesus is saying, this is what makes you holy. Holy is not a fancy word that makes us look like angels. Holy just means uh, separate, different. How we learn to react to people who come after us, who insult us, who talk behind our backs, who give us attitude, who don't like us, is what makes us holy. Conventionally, it's viewed that if you go to church, raise your hands, memorize a few verses, bump worship music, share a verse on Instagram, say brother that, sister that, then you are holy. Look, nothing wrong with those. Keep doing that. But look at what Jesus says here in in, in verse 46 to 48. This is what separates the believer from the follower. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? It's easy to love other people who love us back. He says, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? He says, how are you different If you only serve, if you only like, if you only love, if you only hang out, if you only give to those who give back to you. Don't non-believers do that too? Don't non-Christians do that too? Doesn't the world do that too? He says literally pagans do this. What makes you different? Then he says, be Perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Again, clarification. He's not saying be perfect. We all know this. Nobody can be perfect. What he's saying, though, is I want you to overdo it. Most of us are used to giving the bare minimum to those who don't give anything back to us. In fact, if we never have to interact with them, oh, goodness, If they're not at that party that we're going to, yes. Yes. 
If we don't see their posts on Instagram, it's a good day. But Jesus is saying, I want you to overdo it with those people. Oh, doesn't it give you some nasty feeling? <laughs> see, and I, and I want to preface this. If you're not a Christian, if you, don't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you're not someone of faith, then this is optional for you. I would highly recommend to, to invite Jesus in your life, and I would highly t- recommend to live your life like this, but this is optional. But here's where it gets wild. If you are a Christian, if you say Jesus is your Lord, if you have accepted him as your Savior, then this is a requirement. This is a fundamental law. And mind, I think it's so cool that Jesus actually wants us to be recognized. He wants us, Christians, believers, to be recognized by everyone else, by the world, by how unconventional our reactions are to the negative. He said, and you've heard it, he said, people will know you by how you love, right? And how do we love? Not just by loving the person that loves us back, but how do we love those who don't? How do we love those who hate us, who talk bad about us, who persecute us? not just by our actions, but by our reactions. Why does this matter? Why is this important? Here it is. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What do your reactions, what do your reactions say about your confidence in God? Let me ask it this way. Let me ask you this way. How confident are you that God is in control? That's the question. See, because when we overreact, when we retaliate, we are saying, God, I don't trust you to take care of this, so I'm going to let loose. I'm going to prove a point. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I am going to defend my name, defend my reputation, because I don't trust that you can do it. How would we react to these things that come at us in life if we did what Paul said in Philippians, that all things work for for good? How differently will our life be? See, I heard a story about a, <clears throat> an important person. He was a person of faith. He was running for a very high position. And uh, a lot of people were um, speculating, were, were saying that he might lose. He might not get this really, really high position. And, and a good close friend of his asked him, hey, aren't you scared? Like, um, aren't you worried that you're not going to win this election? Like, aren't you, like, unsettled? Like, what happens if you lose? And and this is what he said, and this is so powerful. He says, if I win, I win. If I lose, then I still win. And then he says this, and this is wild. Then he says, my responsibility is to obey God and leave outcomes to him. 
Oh, wow. I just want to say this bugs me so much. I'm human. And, and don't believe that, that preachers and pastors like everything that we read in Scripture. That's just not true. I want to decide outcomes. I want to make decisions in my life knowing that this decision is going to create this outcome. But the reality is, and we all know this, the reality is that we can't. Because we don't have control over circumstances, over other people, over traffic, over our, our boss, our kids, our spouse. We don't even have control over the weather. All my five-year plans, I don't even think they make it five days. Like, <laughs> so powerful. It says, my responsibility, all I have to do is obey him and trust that he'll take care of the outcomes. God, can we get an amen for that? Goodness. In fact, whenever I try to control outcomes, I just complicate things. I make things worse. I don't know about you, but I, I try to, you know, like try to shape it so that it comes out a certain way and I just ruin things. But what does it look like to live as if God were in control of outcomes? And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. What's insane is his disciples didn't even get this right. You see, there's no evidence that his disciples, at least while Jesus was with, with them, that they had this right because, uh, uh, well, what you're thinking now, they probably thought it too. They probably also thought, this isn't how life works. In fact, look at what happens. This is great. Luke 9.54, Luke 9, it's in your outline and, and it'll be on the screens. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. They said, you're not welcome here. We don't like you. Because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, this is funny, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. John, this is the same guy who wrote John 3.16. The beloved disciples, they said, Jesus, they were even like, we don't want you involved in this. We'll take care of this. Like, there's Old Testament precedent for this. We got you. Like, God burned these guys because they didn't let us stay with them. I mean, if I were him, I'd be like, I'm the worst rabbi ever. Like, I just taught, and taught them about how to react, about how to live like me, and they're over here trying to burn people. See, their reaction was contrary to his teaching, to how he lived. In fact, when, when they said this and he rebuked them, the Greek word used here when he rebuked them was the same word that Scripture uses when Jesus rebuked demons. It's a strong word. He really was not okay with their reactions. Jesus was not okay with their reactions. And see, when they got to Jerusalem, they arrested Jesus. And he didn't react like most of us would. You know, I think to myself, even if I knew I should be arrested, like, I would not go down easily. You know, I'd, 
I would think, no, the food, like, I don't know, like all these feelings would, you know, and you'd be like, no, don't do this. In fact, the people who went to go arrest him were expecting Jesus to fight back. They were expecting Jesus to not give in so easily. That's why scripture says they sent a small army. And his disciples by this time still didn't get, a, get this. Some of them ran away. Some fought back. But Jesus didn't. And so they arrest him, they take him, and, and this is where it really gets amazing. They take Jesus in front of Pilate to get judged. And we get a glimpse as to how he was able to react how he did. Because what we're talking about here today is not easy and does not come naturally. It is something that we actually have to try to do and be conscious about. But look at this amazing story. When Jesus is in front of Pilate in John 19, 10 through 11, he says, this is Pilate speaking, do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate is saying, do you know who I am? Pilate is saying, do you realize I control the outcome of this situation? I decide whether you live or whether you die. And look at where it gets wild. In, in John 19, 12, he says, from then on, after Jesus said that, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Pilate tried. It says, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. See, Pilate tried to decide the outcome. Pilate tried to set him free, but he couldn't because he did not have as much power as he thought. Pilate thought that he was in control when in reality, the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth was the one in control. It was never Pilate. And Peter puts this beautifully in 1 Peter 2.23. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When they cussed at him, when they spit at him, when they threw things at him, when they insulted him, Jesus did not retaliate. And then it says, when he suffered, he made no threats. And here's the line. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus trusted the Father. Jesus said, my responsibility is to obey God and leave outcomes to him. Jesus trusted God 
that he was in control of outcomes. Jesus is teaching us how to respond to people and situations the way that he has responded as well. I, <clears throat> I want to share something kind of personal. I was on, on like a trajectory or on the road uh, to, to go into ministry and, and to be a pastor. I went to Bible school. I did all that. And like, um, it was kind of set out. Actually, my wife and I, we were interim pastors of a church nearby. Um, and it was great. But uh, then, I, <clears throat> then I married into a pastor's family. Uh, my wife, her brother is um, a pastor. He's the pastor of this church. And, um, you know, her dad, and they have a lot of pastor relatives. And so <clears throat> a lot of pastors in the family. And I got a front, front seat row to a pastor's life. And I got to see a lot of it. And I said, no, absolutely not. Not a chance. That's definitely not for me. I would think about our pastor, Pastor Nestor, and I, I, I would think about how he gives people so much and if you know him even slightly, you know that he gives so much, so much of his time, of his effort, of his stress, things that, in my opinion, he should be giving to his family instead of the church, all so that people can just walk out of him like this. Also, that people can, can talk behind his back or, or, or judge uh, the ministry or, 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 or let him down. And I remember having a conversation with him, and I would tell him, why are you doing this? What's enticing about it? It's not a lot of money. It's a lot of stress, a lot of time. People more often than not, than not let you down. They don't come through for you. And it was a, <laughs> a weird conversation, but I told him, this isn't worth it. When I was going through this sermon, it really wrecked me. It really tore down that wall that I had built up. And, and, and I tell everyone close to me, whenever I write these, I, I'm preaching to myself first. Please don't feel judged. And uh, <clears throat> I was telling him, I said, now I know that Pastor Nestor's job is to obey God and to leave the outcomes to him. And what solidified this revelation was that I am standing here in front of you all because he decided to obey God. And I'm sure that many of you here have gone through situations, have survived a marriage, have survived a situation because he decided to obey God and leave the outcomes to him. And it's, it's heartbreaking. I know. I know that it's heartbreaking that ultimately we do not have control 
of the outcome of our lives. I get it. And I get that it is a scary place that things happen to us. We lose jobs. We get laid off. We get cheated on. We have miscarriages. We have all things that life throws at us. And we, we get sick. Our close members pass away. We have no control. And we want to react. When we're at a hospital and we get bad news or when we're in front of our boss and we get bad news, we want to react. We want to say, no, that's not fair. I don't deserve that. I have worked hard. I have put effort. I have done everything right, yet this is still happening. And it's not specific to us. We're not that special. It happens to everyone in the world. But the difference, the difference is that we have Jesus. We have Jesus who told us and showed us, hey, it's okay. And it's going to be okay. All you have to do is trust and obey that I got you. He says, I got you because I love you. What more do we need? See, I, I have seen so many people, so many people throw away amazing talent solid marriages, good kids, great potential for an amazing life, throw it all out of the window because of an overreaction. Because 95% of their life was on good, on point, on great, but then that 5% happened, someone challenged them, someone uh, baited them, and they gave in. They overreacted. They let what was in here come out. And it's sad. It's so sad. It's like, what good is it that you know all the lyrics to the worship songs, yet you cuss people out on the road? It's the same tongue. It's the same mouth. Or what good is it that you help out at church and, 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 and pour your sweat, yell, yet you yell at your loved ones out of anger, out of outburst, out of a reaction? Or what good is it that you say all the right things in this building, yet you send nasty text messages? This is where it matters. This is where it counts. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where your faith is shown and put to the test. This is where your maturity shows. Because we have been taught our whole life how to behave. Since we were little kids, if we were somewhere quiet like this, we were taught, hey, shh, don't say anything, behave. And so we have gotten very good at showing everyone else that we have it all together until that button is goes all out the window. Jesus is saying that actions speak louder than words, but reactions speak louder than both. 
And I'm not saying to stop all those other things. I think they're so important. Continue to read your Bible, continue to pray, continue to come to church, but start paying attention to how you react when things don't go your way. Because more often in life, we do not get what we want because we do not have control. The hope, the great thing about this is that we can look at Jesus, at his life as an example of what we should strive to become. See, we know and we read this in scripture that God has laid out a great and amazing plan for each and every one of you. See, most of us, when we come to faith, when we come to church, we think God is a party pooper. God doesn't want us to have fun. God, God just wants, has all these rules about what not to do. That is far from the truth. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to have a great life. But we have to know how to take control and give it to Jesus. And I hope, the, I hope the message wasn't hard on you. I hope it was an encouragement. And more than anything, our goal here at Dayspring is to give you hope to keep you strong, not to give up on life, but to continue with Jesus at your side. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.